what is the criteria for feeling like you had a good service or feeling like you preached a good sermon? See, there's, what you've got to be very aware of is that the flesh can get in this thing very easily. Uh, you can get flesh all over the place. The scary thing is that you can keep a good show going for a long time just on flesh. Um, and the flesh can say that the criteria is how excited do people get, um, how many people were there, how much energy was there there, uh, what kind of perceptible impact did you have when you were talking. And that can just be all flesh. It can be a, a Christian version of a carnival or a soap opera or something of that sort. From our perspective, the criteria for whether or not we did what God wanted us to do here on Sunday morning, but also for whether or not we're doing what God wants us to do in our small groups or in our prayer meetings or wherever we might find ourselves. Ultimately, the criteria is truth. Um, did God get worshipped in a way that is appropriate given the truth about who He is? Was the truth about God sung? Uh, whether you felt good about it or not is, is as irrelevant as uh, how many fleas there are on my dog in June. Uh, it just is not of any consequence. Um, but the question is, was truth sung? So also here, the, the issue is, is truth spoken? It's not about how does it feel, how does it look, uh, you know, did you go away feeling goosebumpy or anything like that. Utterly irrelevant. If that happens, great. And when God moves very frequently, you, you have feelings like that. But the criteria for truth, and this is the only non-fleshy criteria you can have, is was, was truth sung? Was truth spoken? Did the people of God do what the people of God are supposed to do? That's it. Everything else is just gravy. I guess one of the reasons why I say that is because it's something we have to keep reminding ourselves of in, in leadership and ministry. What are we aiming at here? Because um, the devil, if you start getting fleshy, the devil will start manipulating criteria all over the place. And you start feeling bad when actually truth was spoken. You start feeling good when truth is not spoken because your false criteria got met. You start competing with yourself. Well, was this week as, as hot and, and good as last week? Uh, you know, and, and, and that is a downer situation. Uh, how, how's the numbers of people? You know, it was where we were crowded the week before, and, and fleshy, carnal, ungodly stuff like that. We are committed to just this one thing. Is truth spoken? Is truth sung? Did God get worshipped? Did the word get proclaimed? If that happens, we've done our job. You can all go to sleep for all I care. No, only kidding. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2. I, you know what? One final thing. One final, last preliminary word. See, one of the things that concerns me is that in a lot of seminaries, they teach you how to preach uh, three, uh, the three steps to a better marriage and the four steps to raising kids and the six steps to getting better finances and the nine steps to winning your friend. And, and I'm not at all opposed to uh, three-step, four-step, nine-step sermons. That's fine and well and good. The danger, however, is that truth becomes defined according to our needs. If every sermon is just sort of a, um, a practical how-to sermon, and you never step back and don't ask the question, what is the needs, but, but rather ask the question, what is truth, then you only get from the Word what you ask of the Word. You see, i got a problem with my marriage. What does the Bible say about my marriage? That's a good thing to do. But the Bible might have a lot of things that you don't even think is about your marriage, but actually will impact your marriage greatly if you'll just let it speak on its own terms. Sometimes you just need to hear some good theology. And maybe it's, it's, it's not even stuff that you can take home and say, well, I learned three steps on how to raise my kid there. But it will make you a different kind of person, and I guarantee you that if it's true, it will bear kingdom fruit, and that's definitely going to make you a better parent, definitely going to make you a better spouse, definitely going to make you a better employee. It's going to impact every area of your life. But to get that meat, you've got to 
have a non-consumer attitude towards the Bible. You have to go to it on its terms, not our terms. And we Americans don't do that very well. We like to you know, go away saying, okay, here's the three things I can do. Sometimes you just got to say, is this true or not? The last couple messages have been of, of the genre, uh, is this true or not? What is truth? What on earth is going on, literally? What on earth is going on? What's the big picture? What is God up to? What are we doing here? And the reason we're doing that is because the passage of Scripture that we're talking about touches on all those issues. And I have just not felt led to let go of this. This is the third message on these five verses of, of, of uh, five, five, five verses in, in chapter 2. And the Lord just keeps on saying, hover there, hover there, chew on it a little further. And I, I kind of want to say, but come on, you know. They're, they're, you know, we've already got those five verses. The Lord comes back and says, what's your criteria for success, Brother Boyd? Uh, does it always have to be new and interesting, or is truth good enough for you? So we're going to do the same five verses. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 2. Three steps on getting along with your husband. Verse 5. It is not to angels. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5. It is not to angels that he, God, has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. Again, the background here. Some people are saying that Jesus Christ can't be above the angels, like the author was saying in chapter 1. How can he be above the angels if he was, if he was made below the angels as a human being? And the author is saying, listen... First of all, he's God, so that makes him above the angels, even if he is also a human being. But even being a human being doesn't make him below the angels, because after all, in the world to come, heaven, in the world to come, it is not angels that are going to be ruling, it is human beings. Verse 6, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. The author is saying here this, I know this is hard to swallow, we feel so puny. It's hard to swallow. Judging from the evidence, we look very, very small, insignificant. What is man that you're mindful of him? This little insignificant, you know, race of insects on his little speck of dust in some far-off galaxy in the corner of some universe. We don't seem very important. But, verse 7, you made him for a little while lower than the angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor. Yeah, we look so small, but we're crowned with glory and honor. And you've put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. We are meant to rule everything. A young lady argued with me last service that cats are not included there, um, but I think cats are included. She quoted the book First, First Feline, verse 4, something like that. But anyways. But he again acknowledges at present we don't see everything subject to him. Okay, not everything subject to human beings, but it's going to be. We don't see it all subject now, but, verse 9, we do see Jesus, who was made, like us, a little lower than the angels, but he is now crowned with glory and honor. In contrast to us, our glory and honor is coming, but his is now, he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's next week. But look at verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, he should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. We're going to get to these, these verses here. Verse 11. But the one who makes men holy, that is Jesus, and those who are made holy that is us, are of one in the same family. Listen to this. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. There's a lot of stuff packed in there. We'll get to most of that next week. But uh, right now let's pray. Father, Father, we are just here this morning. We're just a bunch of kingdom people called to do kingdom work. Coming from many different backgrounds with many different issues, with many different problems and many different struggles and many different victories, many different theologies even, Lord. 
But God, I know that your goal here is to make me and make us better kingdom people. And God, I just would pray that your spirit would do that here, Lord. Holy Spirit, we speak to you and ask you to come down and invade us. Hallelujah, Lord. We, we, uh, we open up the door of our heart and the door of our minds and say, Lord, just come in here and saturate us. Uh, uh, like water falling on, on the ground. Burn away the chaff, Lord. Soak us. Lord, because we are just so aware by our own experience, but also by your word, that it is not human wisdom and fancy speech that builds the kingdom of God, Lord. And it's certainly not just nice songs that we might sing and nice programs that we might have that builds the kingdom, Lord God. But you said you would build the kingdom. You are the builder of the church. And nothing but you, no one but you. So, Lord, you're pleased to use foolish speaking and you're pleased to use foolish singing to build your kingdom. But it's you that do it. So, Lord God, right now, take control. Do your thing. Speak to us. And make us the people you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to hover over these principles a little bit. We're going to hover over these verses a little bit. And we're going to bring out four kingdom principles. Four kingdom principles. And I am just believing, God, that within the next four to eight weeks or so, we're not going to have to be sitting on the ground anymore. It's going to happen. Be believing, God. Let's be praying that that would happen. That has nothing to do with my sermon, though. So some kingdom principles here that come out of this verse. Principle number one. The kingdom of God is future. The kingdom of God is future. Those of you in the front row here, for $10,000, two seconds after the rapture, what is this? You can't see, can you? Think Halloween. A pumpkin seed! We have a winner! Terry Churchill. This is a pumpkin seed. Now, how did you know it was a pumpkin seed? A thousand people are looking at you right this minute, Terry. How did you know it was a pumpkin seed? Well, it looks like a pumpkin seed, but how do you know the pumpkin seeds look like this? What is pumpkin-y about it? You don't see, you know, this is, it's not orange, it's not this big, you can't carve a face in it, you know. Uh, doesn't smell like a pumpkin, doesn't taste like a pumpkin. How do you know it was a pumpkin seed? Answer, because you've seen these things grow into pumpkins before. Brilliant! If you didn't, if you had never seen a pumpkin seed grow into a pumpkin before, you would have no idea that this was a pumpkin seed. There's nothing pumpkin-y about it. Aristotle in his Nicomian Ethics says that the way that you know the essence of anything is by looking at its future. Think about that. Aristotle's a bright guy. Pagan is all ghetto, but a bright guy nonetheless. <laughs> you know the essence of something by looking at its future. What is this in essence? It is a pumpkin. But to know that it's a pumpkin, you've got to look at its future. You can never discern that it's a pumpkin by looking at it right now. It doesn't appear to be a pumpkin. And because it doesn't appear to be a pumpkin, you might do some things to it that would prevent it from ever being a pumpkin. You might think this was supposed to be something that you're supposed to just flick at people. Maybe this is a, a flicker thing. So you'd flick it at people. And if you did that, it would never get buried in the ground. It would never get any nourishment, and it would not grow to be a pumpkin. Or maybe you'd think it's a nice piece of jewelry, and you'd make a, an earring out of it. Um, and in which case, it would never become a pumpkin. Or, or maybe you'd, you'd cook it or something right now, not realizing that it's got a better destiny. You'd fry the poor thing, and it still would never be a pumpkin. You've got to know what the essence of a thing is to know how to treat it, but to know what the essence of a thing is, you've got to know its future. Who would ever think that a little sperm, a little egg coming together inside of a womb, this little microscopic thing, if you just leave it alone, it's going to grow into be a full human being, a thinking human being, an eternal soul. Who would ever think that? You look at it at the very beginning, it doesn't look like anything of the sort. It seems like God set the world up like this so that things usually have a, have a 
uh, an inconspicuous beginning, a very small beginning. Things always start small and they get big. And they never look like what they're going to become. The author is thinking along these lines when he's talking in, in Hebrews chapter 2. He's saying this. It right now does not look like human beings amount to much. Let's be honest here. It does not look like we amount to very much. Very, very small. Very, very insignificant. Often very stupid. Often very carnal and evil. Go around killing each other. Do a lot of nasty things. And you're telling us that we're above the angels. Does not look like it. And so if Jesus became one of us, it doesn't look like Jesus is above the angels. And the author is saying this. I grant you. I'll spot you this. It doesn't now look like things are going to be subject to us. It doesn't now look like we amount to very much. What is man? Even the Bible says, what is man that you're mindful of him? But if you want to know what a human being is, don't just take a snapshot as we are in the present. You've got to take a snapshot as we are in the future. And if you do that, what you understand is this, that we were created to rule. We've talked about that the last two weeks. We were created to rule. We were created to manifest the image of God. We were created to be God's authority down here on earth. We were created to be God's viceroys on this planet. We were created to be little models of God's love, of God's glory, here in this little domain of his universe. He wants to carry out his kingdom through us here on this earth. That's why we were created. But it doesn't look like that now. It hasn't fully arrived. We blew it. We screwed up at the very infancy of humanity. We surrendered all the authority we had over to Satan, and now he has that authority over us. And now we can't control nature the way we're supposed to control nature. We rot and decay. We weren't supposed to be like that. Death has authority over us, etc., etc., etc. Things are royally screwed up. Corruptio optimi pessima, we talked about last week. The greater you are, the harder you fall. Humans will be the kings, and when we blew it, the whole earth suffers because of it. But you've got to look at the future and see what we were created to be. Not everything is, appears to be subject to us now, but then the author says this, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus. Jesus is, the author is saying, what we are destined to be. Now, in terms of his divinity, Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. We will never be that. God is God. Um, and so in terms of his divinity, Jesus is unique. He's one of a kind. There's no repetitions of Jesus Christ. But in terms of his humanity, he was made a full human being. We'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. A full human being. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, he was in every respect made just like us. In every respect. That's why we belong to the same family. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We belong together. When we look at Jesus in terms of his humanity, the author is saying, there we see everything subject to us. There we see what we are to become. Jesus is, the Bible says, the firstborn from among the dead. Firstborn. That means there's going to be others. Who are the others? It's us. He is the first fruit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. First fruit. That means there's going to be others. Who are the others? It is us. Jesus is the one, as it were, pumpkin seed that's become a pumpkin. We're still in this little seed stage. But if you want to see who you really are, what you're going to become, you've got to look at the person of Jesus Christ. You're following me here. That's your essence. If you're a believer, that's your essence. That is your destiny. Why is it whenever I say that, I feel like Darth Vader? That is your destiny. Ah, Luke Skywalker, it's your de- But to know who you are, you've got to look at the person of Jesus Christ. And then what you see when you look at the person of Jesus Christ is this. If he arose from the grave, it means that we also are destined to arise from the grave. Praise God. If he reigns in glory, it means that we also are destined to reign in glory. If he has conquered all opponents, if he has conquered sin in the grave, that means... That our essence is to, in time, conquer sin in the grave. And if Jesus Christ has everything subjected to him, everything underneath him, 
If he has all dominion and authority and power, it means that we, his bride, we who he has created by his death on the cross, we also shall have dominion over all things. All things shall be subjected to us. We see it now in Jesus. He's the pumpkin who has arrived. We're still the seeds, but we can see what we're going to become by looking at him. And if Jesus Christ lives in the glory of God, the life he lives is the life of God, the joy and the peace and the ecstasy that is there, so also what is destined for human beings. This is our essence. This is why we were created. This is the kingdom. We also shall share in that. We are in Christ. Wherever Christ is, we are. The essence of our nature is to become like him. We are right now in a seed stage. This is the kingdom of God growing. But the future holds the fulfillment of that. The kingdom of God is future. That's the first point. That's what defines who we are. The second point, however, is this. The kingdom of God is not only future. It is also now. One of the worst lines of thinking that has ever plagued the church that has had destructive consequences. It's a theology that we got back, way back when. And that is that, look, at Jesus is going to come back, you know, and he's going to take us out of the earth. So really all you've got to do is get people saved, and, and, and we're just going to kind of wait around for that to happen. You know, forget trying to overcome the problems in society. Forget trying to, uh, you know... Uh, solve any kind of hunger problems or racial problems or, or, or any sort of ecological problems or whatever. Forget that. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just going to get it raptured out of here, and that's it. So the church gives up trying to change the world. Absolutely catastrophic. When Jesus left, he did not say, listen, you guys, hang around until I decide to come back. He didn't say the kingdom is future, right? The fulfillment of the kingdom is future. But he also said the kingdom is now. He said, if I, by the finger of God, am casting out demons, then the kingdom of God is in your midst. In fact, Jesus said this, I'm going to go away, but you ought to be happy when I say I'm going away. This isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. Because I'm with you, but I shall be in you. I shall be in you. I shall send forth the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ's character. It's, It's the Spirit of God. And He shall live within us. And Jesus then says that he will be living out his life through us. The kingdom of God being lived out through us. He went away, but he didn't stay away. He came to us, and now he plants the mustard seed of the kingdom. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off very small, but it begins to grow roots. It begins to grow branches. And before you know it, it is the largest of all garden plants. So also, God sends forth his Holy Spirit to everyone who will say yes to him, to everyone who will simply say, you're the Lord of my life. He makes us a kingdom person. And what we've got to see is that what it means to be a kingdom person is that the kingdom begins to be lived out in our life. Now there is a teaching out there, in fact it's just basically an American assumption, that what Christianity is about is me and Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, I no longer am going to go to hell, and that's the total of what Christianity is about. And maybe I'll go to church on Sunday morning, and I'll get a little bit of me feeding, and then I'll go through my me life, And when I die, I'll go to heaven, and that's what Christianity is about. If that were the case, Jesus would never have had to send his Holy Spirit, at least not to live out the kingdom here. God, that's like going to joining Amway and getting your Amway starter kit and thinking that now now you've done everything Amway is about. The purpose for the starter kit is to begin to sell stuff. When you become a Christian, right, you you get saved, great, you you get cleansed, great, you get sanctified, great. But the purpose for the whole thing is that now you've got a vocation. Every believer in this place has got a vocation. And that vocation is to be the kingdom. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We've got to get this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and his right and its righteousness. And all these things, all the things of this world, all the things that the Gentiles and the pagans go chasing after, they'll be given to you. When you need them, they'll be there. But what you ought to be seeking is not what the Gentiles seek. What you ought to be seeking is not first and foremost just your own security and getting ahead in life and getting a nice house and getting a nice car. No! What you ought to be seeking, he's saying, is the kingdom of God and its righteousness. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean the righteousness that we have with God. We've got that the minute we believe. He means the right living that comes out of seeking the kingdom. He means live out the kingdom, live the behavior of the kingdom, think the the kingdom, do the kingdom, and make that the highest priority of your life. For every believer in this place, in the city, in the world, our highest priority should be to live out the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does the word first mean? It's not that difficult. It means top, number one, before job, before health, before family, before comfort, before convenience, before friends. The highest priority in our life is to live the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ sent out His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in order to begin to build the kingdom. And we are the kingdom. The church is that kingdom. It won't be perfectly manifested to the future, but it's in process now. It is a mustard seed. The mustard seed started with Jesus, started with His disciples, but it's been branching all throughout the world ever since. And we are the kingdom. And that's why Jesus says to be salt and to be light of this world. We're not supposed to be just saying, hey, world, you know, you got your problems, too bad, I'm going to get raptured out of here. We are supposed to be building the kingdom down here right now. We're to be the salt of the world, to be the light of the world, and the way that we do that is by seeking first the kingdom of God. Here's another little profound biological truth. A mustard seed does not have to stop being a mustard seed to become a mustard plant. It just has to be itself. By being itself, it grows into what it's supposed to become, and so it is with the kingdom of God. There's a lot of evangelistic techniques out there, a lot of books that are being written about the four steps to win your friend and the three steps to give the four spiritual laws. And I don't know what the other books are saying. You've got to get your target audience. You've got to have your own strategy. You want to catch a certain kind of fish. You've got to use a certain kind of bait. And all those sorts of things. And I'm not opposed to that. But I do know this. Jesus didn't say that it was going to be primarily by our words that the world would believe. He said it's by your love. When the world sees your love, when the world sees your, your unity, that's what will convince them that He has been sent from the Father. That's what's going to show the truth. When the church is, when the bride of Christ is the kingdom of God, when we start living like the kingdom, the world sees that. There's no way you can live like the kingdom and the world not see that. And when the world sees that, they begin to see what they were created for. In the same way that we look to Jesus Christ as our future, that's what we're going to become. Well, the world doesn't look to Jesus Christ. They don't believe in Him. But what they do see is you and me. And we are, to live in, we are to live now as though the kingdom of God had arrived. We are to live as though we were in heaven. Why? Because the kingdom of God has arrived in us. The principle is there. The seed is there. It's growing now. The only question is, will we yield to it or not? Paul says that we, our lives are living epistles. We're the only Bible that they've got. They look to us. And depending on how we live, that will depend on whether or not they make the judgment that this thing is true or not. We are to do the kingdom of God. The greatest way we can witness is just by being who we in fact are. Letting the mustard seed of the kingdom of God begin to grow out in our life. Be the kingdom of God in your neighborhood, in your, in, in your place of employment, in your family, wherever you are, be the kingdom of God. When we, begin, when we turn the other cheek when we're struck, we're doing the kingdom of God. When we visit one another in hospitals, we are being the kingdom of God. When we love each other like Jesus Christ loved us, we're being the kingdom of God. 
When we can begin to, begin to overcome the obstacles that the world cannot overcome, when they see that racism, for example, has no place in our midst, we are doing the kingdom of God. We're being the mustard seed that God created us to be, and that's got to spread. Just being who we are is going to spread. When we help each other move into, into new houses, when we go over to each other's houses and, and, and renovate the houses, help them clean up the place, when we carry suppers over to each other when, when, when we're sick, we're doing the kingdom of God. We're manifesting the love of God. We are being who we were created to be. And, and, and that's salt and that's light and the world sees it. It's got tons of more power than anything we could ever say. When someone in our midst is suffering or is in financial or having financial troubles and we give our, of our own resources to help them, that's giving to the Lord. We're doing the kingdom of God. And the first and foremost task of every believer is just that, to do the kingdom of God. It's not first and foremost a me and Jesus sort of thing. Yes, praise God for that. You're saved. That's settled. Now you got your starter kit. Now start to do something with it. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to walk in such a way that the character of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the power of Jesus begins to be lived out in your life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we can do that. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that we've got the mind of Christ. He comes and takes residence here. we got Jesus living in us. That's not some little cliche, Jesus living in my heart. That's a reality. That's a kingdom principle. He's living in us. He wants to live through us. So Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was equal with God, yet he didn't grasp after that equality, but he made himself of no reputation. He made himself lower. He became a servant. So also we are to one another become servants. That means coming against the diabolical stronghold that just has got a grip on American Christianity, that this thing is first of all about me. And then we just pursue the American dream, seek first the nice Cadillac, seek first the nice house, and then let your Christianity be a footnote. It's just the opposite of that. The mustard seed principle, the kingdom of God principle, is to let the kingdom of God begin to take fruition in your life. Like the song that we sang, fall like water, pour like rain, whatever it was. That whole thing about it, I burn away the chaff. Let Jesus Christ begin to sculpture you. You know, Leonardo da Vinci, he said that he would look at, at, a, at a rock. And, and he, didn't see, he didn't think of it as carving a sculpture out of a rock. He saw it as carving the excess rock off of the sculpture. He had to chisel away everything that didn't belong there. And when he did that, he had a beautiful sculpture. So also with us, we are a beautiful sculpture. If you're a believer this morning, you're a beautiful sculpture. But God wants to chisel away the stuff that's not supposed to be there to make you a kingdom person, to make you the ambassador on this planet that, that God wants us to be. If you go to a different country as an ambassador, let's say you're, you're, you're the, the American ambassador over in Zaire or something, you, you represent that kingdom. You don't just start acting weird and crazy. Uh, You've you got to have a, there's a proper way to act if you're the ambassador of the United States over in Zaire. I have no idea what that way might be, but I'm sure that there is a, a proper way to do it. So also, we are repre- you guys, we are representatives down here. We're the ambassadors of Jesus Christ here on earth. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5. That's not me. That's, that's Paul, the Apostle Paul. So also, we are living in a foreign land. This world as it is now is not the world that we belong to. It's not the world that God intended. But we are to live in such a way that we do the kingdom, that the people can see what life really is like. People in the world should be able to look at the church and say, you know what, that's living. These people got it together. I want some of that. Something inside of them says, that's what human beings were created to be. Instead of looking at a church, and so often it's, oh, boy, look at those stuffed self-righteous people. I wish I could be like them. We used to think we were witnessing when we'd, when we'd you know, uh, 
parade around with the fact that we don't go to movies or something like that. See, that makes someone want to join your group. But if we can begin to do the kingdom, begin to live the kingdom, begin to rejoice the kingdom, begin to dance the kingdom, begin to celebrate the kingdom, people are dying for that. Amen. They're hungry for that. St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, preach the, preach the gospel to every living creature. And if you absolutely have to, use words. And so it is, you guys. If we just do the kingdom, do the kingdom. But it means, it means breaking out of this idea that Christianity is about a Sunday morning you know, fix, that Christianity is about uh, uh, me and Jesus getting saved at the end. We've got a job to do. It's the biggest job to do. Our vocation is to be kingdom people. The kingdom of God is future. The kingdom of God is now. Third point, the kingdom of God is precarious. The kingdom of God is precarious. Let me put it this way. And in the next five minutes, I'm going to say some stuff that may sound kind of, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, just know this, okay? The only reason I say this is because it's true. That's the only thing I'm, reason I'm saying it. I don't have any other agenda. But here's the truth. It is certain that there will be a kingdom of God. It's certain that there will be a church. That's why God created the world. There's going to be a church. There's going to be a bride. There's going to be a kingdom of God. That is certain. It is certain that God will have a group of people that reflect His glory, that participate in His own triune love and ecstasy. That's the purpose of the world. It's going to happen. It's also certain that if you're a believer clinging to Jesus Christ, you're going to be in on that. But what is not certain is that if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not a foregone conclusion that you're going to be part of that. You see... Whether or not this pumpkin seed becomes a pumpkin depends on what I do with that pumpkin seed right now. I hold the power of the pumpkin in my hand. Um, And Aristotle saw this too, that things are much more vulnerable at the beginning than they are at the end. This pumpkin seed is very, very vulnerable right now. What I do with it will determine what happens to it. You can't divorce the present from the future. What this thing is, is in its future, but whether it gets there is not a foregone conclusion. If I plant it in the ground, if I nurture it, it will become a pumpkin. If I rather throw it out on the, on the parched, on the hot pavement, it's going to fry up. If I put it in the snow, it's going to freeze. It will never become what it's supposed to become. You take the little, uh, the little growing fetus inside of a womb. I'm not trying to solve every question about abortion here this morning. But if you just think of that as a sack of tissue... It will never become what it's supposed to become. This is not just a rock or something. This is a pumpkin seed. Because it will become a pumpkin if you let it go. This is not just a residue of pregnancy. It's a... Look what it becomes. It's a human being. So also, every human being that's alive here is growing towards the kingdom. At least that's what you're supposed to become. But it's not a foregone conclusion because if you don't treat it right, If you throw this on the ground and don't plant it, if you treat it just like a residue of pregnancy, it never becomes what it's supposed to become, and so also with human beings. Whether or not you grow into the kingdom, whether or not you're going to share in the ecstasy that you were created for, the joy you were created for, the love you were created for, the rulership you were created for, whether or not that happens to you depends completely on what you do now. If you live your life as though it were not true that you're supposed to be in the kingdom, you'll bring death to yourself. And just the same way, if I treat this like an earring, it will never become a pumpkin. So also, if you treat yourself in a way that's not like a kingdom person, you don't become a kingdom person. If you think that human beings are just a sack of protoplasm, if you think we're just sort of complex amoebas, if you think that all there is is matter, if you think there is no morality, if you think that no one's accountable to anybody, and you live like that, and you think like that, if you think you are the Lord of your own life, and you're not going to surrender to nobody, know how. 
and you're just better than this Christianity stuff. If you live like that, you've got to know this. And I say it just because it's true. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to be loving towards you. You're living in utter, utter contradiction to the, why your Creator created you. You're at odds with the Creator of the universe, and that's not a good position to be in. You're like a pumpkin seed frying on a pavement. You're living in a way, you're thinking in a way that human beings were never meant to live and think. And the Bible says that, we you know what the word hell refers to? Jesus spoke about hell, Paul talked about hell. It refers to a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem in the Valley of Gehom. The word Gehenna, which is the Greek word for hell, its root is this dump outside of Jerusalem. And the main thing that Jesus is teaching when he talks about hell is this. The people who go there and the angels who go there, the reason they go there is because they are not what they were supposed to be. They are refuse. They are refuse. They are miscarriages, as it were. They are abortions, as it were. They are fried up pumpkin seeds on, on the pavement. It didn't turn out right by their own decisions or whatever. They are misfits in the kingdom. There's no place there. That's why the Bible says, talks about hell being a place where you're cast out in outer darkness. There's a banquet, but you're not included because you, you're not dressed right. You don't look right. There's something wrong there. It all depends on what you do now. That's the reality of the situation. If you want proof of it, you just look at nature. In all of nature, it's that way. What happens to the seed affects what happens later on, for better or for worse. That's why it is crucial now. It is vital now. It is vital today. And I don't always talk like this, but it is vital today. It is vital this hour that you find out what's going on here. What is life about? And what it's about is this. Grabbing onto Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Repenting of your sins. Clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ. And letting Him begin to nourish you. The Bible says that when you become a believer, when you say yes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you just make that commitment, the kingdom is born within you. That's what gets the whole thing started. That's what makes you a kingdom seed. And then you get nourishment from Jesus Christ. You're planted in the right place. You're surrounded among kingdom people. You begin to grow. And if you continue that process, that's what makes you a kingdom person. But it all comes by making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. If you're going to be in the kingdom, you've got to know the king. This morning, there is absolutely no reason why you should go into eternity as a, a misfit, a refuse, something that's to be disposed of. Join up with the king and become a kingdom person and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I implore you. The third principle is that the kingdom is precarious. It's not a foregone conclusion. There's something you've got to do to qualify yourself for that, and that is believing the Lord Jesus Christ and let him begin to live out his life in you. And the fourth, fourth principle is this. The kingdom is the kingdom's future, the kingdom is now, the kingdom is precarious, and when the kingdom comes, it comes suddenly. Fourth principle of the kingdom here. People have a tendency to think that as things are now, they shall always be, they have always been. We know both from geology and from scripture that that is not the, that not the case. History moves forward by cataclysmic events. Things that happen suddenly, bam, it changes the course of history. In our life, things usually go on the same as they've always been, but not always, and it's usually those significantly different times that changes the course of our life. Those decisions we make that, that make all the difference. So it is throughout world history. When the kingdom comes, it's going to come suddenly. It's an important principle for us to see. I'm not going to get into all the little nitty-gritty details of eschatology, but I want to hit on a couple of motifs. There's a pattern to God's operation in the world. I've got to do this quick. Pattern to God's operation in the world. You see that God always plants, He grows, and He prunes. In our life, He does that. He plants, He grows, He prunes. Throughout world history, He does it. He plants, He, plants, he grows, He prunes. The pruning is judgment. And everything is like Leonardo with a rock. Everything that is not compatible with the sculpture God's trying to create, He tears down. 
He salvages what can be salvaged, and he starts to grow it again on the basis of that remnant. As I was talking last week, Genesis chapter 1 shows that God had created the worlds, the heavens, and the earth. The angels sang it was a beautiful thing, but the angels fell. They rebelled because God creates a free creation. It looks in Genesis 1 2. I'm, t- I'm trying to show a panoramic picture here. In Genesis 1 2, the Bible says that the, wor- the world was without form and void, and-, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And for a lot of reasons I can't go into right now, this isn't doctrine, this is opinion. Chew on it. But from my perspective, it shows that the world at that point was a judged world. Something went wrong between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. We know that the angels fell, there was a war that went on, and it looks like what you get in Genesis 1-2 is a battlefield the morning after a battle. The, the, the phrase formless and void, it's always used as an as a, uh, expression of a wasteland after God judges it. God begins to recreate the world. In fact, throughout Genesis 1, he almost always speaks of God fashioning things, not creating them, but he fashions them out of stuff that's already there. Except in the case of organic life, it says God created it from nothing. And in the case of human beings, it says God created it and uses the word that, that is meant from nothing. Everything else God fashions, which again makes it look like God's recreating the world that was there. But then he puts human beings as the guardians of this world. We are to subdue the world. And there's a mustard seed there. God always starts small and he grows it out. So he starts with Adam and Eve. And we are to subdue the world, have dominion over the world, have dominions over the principalities and powers of darkness that are surrounding the world. We are to have that authority. But as you know, we screwed up, we blew it, we surrendered, we were deceived. The mustard seed continues to grow. But it's infected. And now in Genesis chapter 6, I'm giving a real panoramic view here of, of, of a principle of God's operation. You'll see the point I'm driving at here in a second. In Genesis chapter th- 6, things get so infected, it gets so bad, that now God has to carve off the rock. It's pruning time, it's judgment time. So God sends the flood. He, he salvages what can be salvaged. And that is Noah and his family and, and secure on the ark. But everything else is judged. He returns the world to the place it is in Genesis 1-2. It's covered with water. It's tohu vabohu. It's formless and void. It's chaos. He returns it to that stage and it's going to start over again. So he starts from Noah's family. And then later on, he, he prunes and he starts from Abraham. And he raises up Israel. And then he prunes. And then he comes to the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is called the new Adam because he's the new fountainhead of humanity. This is, the Bible says, the last days, which simply means this. It's the final chapter of this whole thing. God is, this is the last building stage he's going to go through. That's what this phrase, last days, means. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen in, in three days or whatever. We don't know when it's going to happen. But this is in the last chapter. God begins with a new mustard seed, the person of Jesus Christ, and the remnant of Jews who believe in him. That's, he salvages what can be salvaged from Israel, and he begins to grow it up again. And now the church, us, you and me who are believers, we are this mustard seed growing. We are the product of this mustard seed growing, and we are ourselves the mustard seed in process of growing, and we have got the vocation to carry this whole thing on. Now, how will this thing wrap itself up? Just like it's wrapped itself up before. The Bible says there's one more pruning time coming when God's going to carve away from the world everything that is not his bride because he wants his bride to shine forth. There's coming a judgment time and it's going to happen suddenly where God is going to say the kingdom has been built and now I'm going to carve off everything else and set my kingdom up here on earth. Are you following this? So Isaiah chapter 34 and Jeremiah chapter 4 says that in the end judgment, God is going to bring the earth back to this form of tohu vabohu, uses the same words, tohu vabohu, that are used in Genesis 1-2, about formless and void. God's going to once again, as he did with the flood, so also in the last judgment, he's going to return it to that stage in order to tear it down to begin to build it up one more time. 
Everything that's not compatible with the bride is going to be pruned aside. All the talk in the book of Revelation and throughout the epistles about the judgment of God relate to this. There's going to be one more pruning time where God's going to come against everything that resists him, everything that sets itself up against him, everything that will not acknowledge his lordship, everything that will not be compatible with the kingdom, and it's thrown out under the garbage heap. It's not compatible with who God is. It's not, it has no place in the kingdom. The Bible says he's going to come back for his bride and take his bride away, wipe the earth clean, and then bring his bride back down to earth. A lot, of, a lot of people misunderstand that. They, they think that when Jesus comes, it's called the rapture of the church. That we go out to meet the Lord in the air and it says, and so shall we also be with him. And they think that Jesus carries, away, carries us away to some cloud and the earth just disappears. But every, every verse in the Bible about heaven has it taking place here on earth. The, the, the imagery there, and I don't know how literal or figurative to take it, and that's not important, but the imagery there is this. Paul, he's using the imagery of a king returning from battle. And Paul... In those days when the king was returning from battle, all the subjects of the kingdom went out to meet the king. But they didn't then go off to a different place. They turned around and they came back. They ushered him into the kingdom. And so also Paul says that we are going to usher the Lord back here. This is where the kingdom is going to be set up here. We're not going to go off on some cloud. It's going to happen here. And in the meantime, God's going to purge the earth. And then his kingdom will be set up. And the Bible says that is when finally, once and for all, everything is going to be subject to humanity. We are going to be the viceroys of God on this planet. And when the Bible says everything will be subject to us, it means everything will be subject to us. The principalities, the powers, the darkness, the dominions, nature, disease, will be subject to us. And so we shall then be what God always from the start wanted us to be, kingdom people, living out his loving lordship here on the earth. The Bible says he shall wipe away every tear from our eye. There shall be no more sorrow, there shall be no more heartache, there shall be no more death. Everything that Jesus is now, we shall be then on this earth, and God's plan shall be fulfilled. For the believer, this is glorious. It's going to be inconceivably wonderful. Every longing of our heart for joy and ecstasy will be met. We shall be everything God wanted us to be. The kingdom will be a place unimaginable. Like this, very much like this, but a perfect version of this. If you're not a kingdom person, there's a dump outside of the city. There's no reason for you to go there. This morning, I end just by imploring you one more time to become a kingdom person, and that's just about saying yes to the king. I will follow you. If you want to say that this morning and mean it in your heart, I encourage you to come forward here. There'll be some people who will just talk you through that. It is the simplest thing in the world. But like this mustard seed, where the heck is it? Like this mustard seed. It's such a simple thing. Will I plant it or will I eat it? It's a difference of a couple of inches. And yet it makes, for this pumpkin seed, all the difference in the world. In fact, I already destroyed it. I bit into it. Now it's done. So also, a little prayer. It seems weird, but a little prayer makes an eternal difference. I encourage you to do it here this morning. Pray with me now, okay? Father, we are your kingdom people. It's all we are. But man, what a job. Uh, It is joy. It's also awesome. I pray, God, that as we go out of this place, we will carry the reality of the kingdom with us. And God, I pray that we'd see kingdom opportunities at our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods, when we travel, in every conversation we have. God, help us to seek first your kingdom and its way of living, its righteousness. And God, just keep on prospering your kingdom through us. Oh, God. And for those here this morning that are not yet your subjects in this kingdom, I pray, Lord, that right now you'll be pulling them forward in your gentle, loving way to acknowledge you as king. 
and begin that mustard seed process in their life. Be glorified in our midst, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name.